time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? Welcome to today's edition of the Financial Physician, where we talk money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life. My name is Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner and your money doctor. Not once, but twice a week, we have our Sunday podcast, which you're listening to now. Runs about two hours, gets up by 9 a.m. Sunday morning, and then we do our midweek podcast on Wednesday, gets up by by about 4 p.m. And runs a little over an hour usually. So you don't want to miss either one because we talk about totally different things on each podcast. So if you miss Wednesday's podcast, we did a whole expose uh, on uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, the propaganda that came out of the media, all the lies to us about, you know, get the vaccine, you won't get COVID, you can't spread it, uh, the vaccine safe and effective. Uh, and I played a lot of media montages, uh, just laying out the pop propaganda that we were hit with. And a lot of people are paying the price for it now. So if you miss any of that, uh, certainly go to thefinancialphysician.com and you can link over to uh, Wednesday's podcast. And, and many of you, most of you, do listen to both podcasts, and I appreciate that. Now, when people look at financial success and failure, when I look at financial success and failure... I've narrowed it down to two things. What makes people successful financially and what makes them fail? Two words. Cars and houses. The decisions that you make regarding the purchase of these two things and how you finance them makes all the difference in your financial health and your financial success. So let's start off talking about buying too much house or buying a house when you really shouldn't buy it. A lot of people think that the the real goal, as soon as you get married, is run out there and buy a house. Not necessarily. As a matter of fact, Warren Buffett said one day he had seven things not to do. And he said, don't buy a house until you're absolutely ready. And I found out to be um, smart. You don't hear that too often. He said rent. And the reason being is because when you buy a home, your expenses rise and soar dramatically, especially if you buy a large, costly house. And when you become a homeowner, you're not paying rent, but all sorts of new expenses crop up, uh, and they all increase. Property taxes, insurance, utilities, upkeep, maintenance, and perhaps assessments if you're in a homeowner's association. Furnishings, repairs, renovations, remodeling. So you're taking up, you're taking on a major expense when you buy a home. And purchasing and financing a home or a series of homes over our lifetime is most families' costliest long-term obligation. 
And when we go into a home, especially the first home, getting into the home frequently wipes out all your savings and investments, or a good portion of them. And then their monthly mortgage payments, real estate taxes, insurance, can eat up a bulk of their income and decreases the amount of money they have available to save and to invest. So you have to look at affordability of houses. And right now, we're talking about a major affordability problem. On Wednesday, I laid out that um, an analysis was done that in 92, uh, 99, what was it? No, 99% of counties in the United States, homes are unaffordable based on the average income. So buying a home that uh, more than you need or than you can afford is a trap. And it could put you into a downward spiral that could ruin your financial health. So the costly of the home, Now, obviously, the bigger it's going to be, you're going to enjoy it more. It has more rooms. It has basement finish and all that kind of stuff. But when you buy a costlier home, everything goes up. Real estate taxes are more for a costlier home. It's based on the assessed value of the house, right? Utilities go up. Got to heat a bigger home, right? Insurance for that house goes up. So all the things associated with the home. And also the mortgage payment, of course, and the down payment. So buying too much house will deplete your savings, will stress your income in many cases. And, you know, today many people feel a sense of entitlement. They're ego-driven. They're status-conscious. And they're determined to live glamorous, rich lives. They believe they have a right to. And that's the problems with Americans today. They believe that they have a right to that beautiful big McMansion. They believe they have a right to that beautiful new car. And yeah, if they think they have a right and they go out and do it, well, they're going to pay the price. Uh, And in the past, you know, families tended to stay in the same house for many years. Many people raised their children and lived in the same house until they retired. Now more families are, are quicker to move. Well, they say the average in America now is once every seven years you move. Uh, that's quite a... Um, anybody who's moved, and it's all of us, knows how stressful that is and what a pain in the neck it is. Uh, but people are moving like once every seven years, and more often than not, they're trading up to a more expensive house. It could be the same square footage, but it's more expensive due to the appreciation of real estate. And we've seen that over the last couple of years, contributing to the affordability of houses. Now, in recent years, I guess going back to probably 10 or 15 years, in many cases, you were able to buy a home with little or nothing down. And then you'd finance the rest. Now, traditionally, buyers were required to put up uh, 20% because the banks wouldn't lend more than 80% of the value of the home. But in the 1990s, that all changed. And those changes had unintended consequences and it triggered the financial crisis in 2008. So first and foremost, a house is a place to live. It should be a comfortable residence for you and your family, not something you use to wow the world. If you have children, your home should be a safe, secure, comfortable place for them to grow. And a house does not have to be a castle. 
So what to do if you're going to go out and buy a house? Well, hold off buying a home until you can put 20% down. That is my number one rule. Uh, Because those who don't make a substantial down payment are likely to walk away when housing prices drop because they have negative equity. However, walking away will plunge them deeper in debt and ruin their credit, which they may never be able to recover from. So yeah, it's easy to walk away. Give the keys to the bank. Many people did that. And in, uh, in 2008, 2009, 2010. But now we're starting to see mortgage foreclosures rise dramatically. I was looking at a chart this morning. It just went ballistic straight up to over 4% of homes right now are being foreclosed on. And many more are going to come. Also, scale down. You don't have to buy the most expensive home, especially if it's your first home. You could always trade up later on after you build some equity in your first home. The problem now for many home buyers, first-time home buyers, is that a first home now is so expensive, mortgage rates are so high, that even a small starter home is unaffordable. Uh, Also, how much can you afford? That's the key. How much of your paycheck can you afford? Now, banks used to look at uh, about 28% of your take-home income is what you should be able to afford. Now, I think that's a little high, but that's what banks were doing. They were, they were looking at it. They were looking at your income, and they were looking at your ability to afford the mortgage payment. So don't buy a home unless you could put down 20% and your cost for carrying that home is 28% or lower of your take-home income. And the problem that you have with this is that now with inflation, everything else in your life is costing so much more. So you're diverting a lot more money to other things besides your home. But um, but think it through before you do it, especially now that interest rates are so high. Maybe it makes sense to wait and rent. And sometimes it makes sense to rent. You know, everybody says, well, I'm flushing my money down the toilet. Not necessarily. If you were able to keep more of your income because you're not paying for property taxes, insurance, and, 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 and upkeep and all that stuff, maybe that's a better option for you. Now, I recently told you that rents are over $2,000 a month in most cases, but mortgage payments now in the threes to 4000 a month. Now, most people have mortgages they don't buy for cash. So uh, I recommend that people only get 15-year fixed or 30-year fixed mortgages. I mean, the beauty of fixed-rate mortgages is that they're simple to understand and the lender can't change the terms of the mortgage. But that's not true with variable rate mortgages. Now, in my book, I say you shouldn't take a variable rate mortgage because of the uncertainty of interest rates going up and your payments going up. You can't predict that. But there's only a few reasons to take an adjustable rate mortgage. Number one, you can get an initial maybe four-year low rate compared to the fixed rate. And you believe you'll be selling the home within that five-year period. So you're not going to have the interest rate bump bump in uh, year five. 
Now, if it does bump up at year five, all right, so you pay a higher mortgage payment for that last year before you sell it. Another reason to get a, an adjustable rate mortgage is because of what's happening now. If you can get like a what they call a five-year arm, uh, what that simply means is that for the first four years, you get a teaser rate, a low rate, lower than the 30-year fixed rate mortgage right now, uh, which, by the way, is creeping very, very close uh, to 8% right now as interest rates continue to go up in the bond market. But if um, you want to get into a house and you want to have affordable payments, well, maybe a five-year arm makes sense because maybe you can get a 3 or 4% first four-year rate, and then uh, hopefully interest rates come back down over that period, and then you could refinance into a 30-year or 15-year fixed at that point. But there's no guarantee that interest rates are going to come down. And if they don't, then you're going to see your interest rates bump up in year five. So it's always a risk when you take on anything but a fixed rate. Now, if you take a fixed rate mortgage now, a 30-year fixed rate for seven and a half or whatever it is at the time, you could always refinance that fixed rate mortgage later on also when interest rates come back down. And I think a lot of people are out there now buying homes, uh, even though they know the interest rate's uh, incredibly high, uh, with the uh, hope and um, expectation that interest rates will come down and they'll be able to refinance later on. So when you apply for a mortgage, um, you're putting 20% down. There's another reason to put 20% down. Because if you don't, you have another cost. And that is uh, mortgage insurance. If you don't have 20% equity in a home, you've got to pay another payment to an insurance company to ensure that you're going to pay the mortgage. Now that stops once you build equity if your house goes up in value. And you have um, more than 80% equity uh, in a house. I'm sorry, more than 20% equity in the house, I should say. Uh, then, they could, they, then they'll turn it off. You just tell them, look, you know, my house went up. Uh, I have more than 20% equity in it now. I want you to stop uh, PMI, you know, mortgage insurance. Uh, that's another cost. If you don't put down 20%, it makes it even costlier to own that house. So when you go for a mortgage, you want to know the mortgage term, the interest rate throughout the term all costs and fees to get the mortgage or refinance the mortgage. If variable and interest rates are going to reset, um, what is the terms of the reset? How do they calculate it? Does the mortgage uh, have any prepayment penalties? Uh, And what are they? Uh, It used to be that you were able to, uh, somebody was able to assume your mortgage when they your house. Uh, very few mortgages do that now. Uh, we don't see them around anymore. They should come back though. So what not to do? Don't buy a home unless you can make a substantial down payment, something in the area of 20%. And if you can't put down 20%, you can't afford the house. Uh, and by, by no um, no circumstances, take an interest-only loan. You remember those loans that are out? You know, these loans come and go. All you had to do is pay interest or whatever else you wanted to. You don't want to get those because you never build equity in your house at that point. So cars and homes are decisions about them, drive everything financially. Uh, 
home decisions, especially in retirement, drive everything. I, I tell people who are retiring, I said, your, your home decision, where you live, is the most important decision financially you're going to make. And uh, it's important to understand uh, exactly how much you could afford before retirement and after retirement. So how do you figure out what price you can pay for a home? Well, take whatever you could put down and times it by five. So if you have a $40,000 in savings that you're going to put down as a down payment, you times it by five, 200000 is the maximum amount you should pay. Now, someone's saying, well, what can I buy for 200000 anywhere? Well, you're going to have to save up more of a down payment then. If you could save sixty thousand, well, times five is three hundred thousand dollar home. And uh, in many places in this country, you can't even afford that. You can't even find that. I mean, so if you have eighty thousand, now you're looking at a four hundred thousand dollar home. So you have to save the down payment. And the problem is, as I said when I opened up, is that you know as soon as you buy that house, all your savings are wiped out, including. Hopefully not, but usually including your emergency money. Some people take money out of their 401k to buy a home. Uh, and it's the worst thing to do. You can't afford a home if you're going into your retirement plan to buy it. You should remain a renter. And right now, I'm telling a lot of people, especially young people, do not buy a house at this time. First of all, I believe housing prices are going to come down because I think we're entering a very, very nasty recession. These mortgage rates keep going up, which is only going to harm the housing market more. I think you'll have better interest rates and better prices um, in real estate, just waiting three years. Now, I could be wrong. You know, when interest rates went up in the 80s, uh, when we had our last big inflation, uh, mortgage rates stayed over 10% for 10 years. And I was kind of blown away when I researched that. You know, you thought, you know, I thought that that these high mortgage rates, 10, 11, 12, 13% uh, was a short-term phenomenon back in the early 80s. It wasn't. Mortgages were that high for 10 years before they started coming down. So could it happen this time? Sure. Uh, But I don't think so because I think we're heading to a very, very, very significant and severe economic contraction. And uh, I think we're going to see a significant downturn in housing prices and interest rates. So it may be in your best interest uh, just to, to bite the bullet, stay home, still live with mom and dad if that's what you're doing, um, or continue to rent. But making a decision on housing uh, is probably the most important decision you're going to make financially. All right, let's take a short break. My name is Lou Skatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate 
state from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. I want to share something funny with you. Um, you hear me running uh, every week. I run the commercial for Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. And uh, people have asked me, Lou, what's with the septic company, the sewer company you run a commercial on your, on your show each week? And it's uh, a business that's owned by my son, Matthew. He started about, I don't know, a little over three years ago from scratch. And it's turned out to be uh, grow into a fabulous business. His customers love him. He does a great job. If you need any septic or sewer stuff, he's the guy to call. But my wife came up early this morning laughing her brains out. And I was like, what's going on? She goes, Lou, you got to hear this. Uh, she found on Facebook this morning uh, this following, uh, well, it's a phone call that, that a guy who owns a company that makes soap. And apparently it also massages your muscles when you're washing yourself doesn't make any sense to me it's a curved bar of soap basically and the idea is when you're pushing it down your leg and your muscles you're kind of giving yourself a massage and it's called sore soap so the guy's trying to do a commercial so he's looking for the dirtiest job in new jersey uh and he stumbled upon my son's company and this is the way the phone call went 20 dirtiest jobs in the world one sewer inspector let's call sewer inspector sewer inspection Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. Jersey Shore Septic. Hi, uh, my name is David. I'm trying to find the dirtiest job in New Jersey. Do you think this is it? I have a company that makes soap that you scrape your muscles with if you're sore. Do you, do you think you have the dirtiest job in the state of New Jersey? Uh, I'm de- it's definitely up there. <laughs> Alright, let me ask you one more question. And this is serious. I, make, I have a company... Um, you make a soap that you scrape your muscles with in the shower. So you're not only getting clean, but you're giving yourself like a, a massage. It feels great. I'd be willing to send you some of what we have. It's called sore soap. So I'm assuming you're dirty and you're sore when you're done work. Yeah. Okay. We get poo all over us. Oh, you get poo all over you. Okay. Yeah. It's, well, it's poo. poo. It's literally poo. Would you like to try our product? I'll send you one. Ah, uh, sure. Okay. All right. Um, just... Should I send it to... Let me see. I wasn't prepared. I didn't think you were going to say yes, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> well, it doesn't cost me anything, right? No, not at all. Not at all. And not just for athletes. It's for people who are covered in poo and who are sore and need to go home to their wife and kids. And that sounds like you. Yeah. All right. So, what's your name? Matt. Matt? All right. I'm David. Yeah. All right, Matt. You're going to get a package that's going to smell awesome. There's going to be instructions in it. Scrape your muscles. 
call me back if you want. If not, oh, absolutely. just enjoy it. All right, thank you very much. All right, Matt, have a great day. You too. All right, bye. Bye. Man, Matt's job sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? You know what's not difficult? Recovering in the shower with Sorso. <laughs> I thought it, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Um, so the guy's doing a commercial. It's all over Facebook now. <laughs> they just happened to call my son. Uh, and he seemed to be a pretty good sport uh, through it all. Uh, we'll let you know how that soap works out. I don't know. It seems pretty stupid to me. Just a curved bar of soap. Uh, and this guy's trying to get rich off of it. Anyway. <laughs> On a Friday, the jobs report came out. The monthly jobs report, which is the most... I don't know, Wall Street really looks forward to this for some reason. I don't know why it's the most rigged, fudged report that comes out of the government. Uh, But that and the CPI, of course. But there was a big surprise in September's job report. I think uh, economists were expecting something like 170,000 jobs to be created. Well, it came out that it was uh, 336,000 jobs were created. But were they really created? Um, the economy has been uh, imploding. We hear every day major companies laying off employees. Uh, and supposedly the economy is so good that jobs jumped 336,000. It was so far out of what people were expecting. Everybody's scratching their heads on it. Now, when you look under the hood here, it's all fudged. If you use unadjusted numbers, what the government likes to do is they like to adjust numbers based on seasonality. They call it seasonal adjusted numbers. So meanwhile, it's a fantasy. It's never anything true. But they said if we seasonally adjust the numbers, uh, we have 336,000. But what happens if you don't seasonally adjust it? Well, let's take a look. Um, The official adjusted data show that Leisure and hospitality added a whopping 96,000 jobs. But if you look at the unadjusted data, it shows the sector lost 466,000 jobs in September. So that means the unadjusted private sector payrolls was minus 399. So you see how this works? It's just a joke. Wait. If unadjusted totals uh, payrolls rose by 585,000, but private payrolls dropped by 399,000, that means that in September, all the unadjusted jobs came from the government, which added a whopping 984,000 jobs, mostly teachers. So if you had another month, all the strength that we've seen in this is due to seasonal adjustments and, and various fudging of the numbers in there. And it's just the old tricks that the BLS uses. And you're going to see it every month between now and the election. On all the government numbers, they're not going to want to admit that this economy is in a severe recession uh, and that people are losing jobs left and right. But let's look a little bit deeper into it. What types of jobs were created? Well, let's take a look. Unadjusted full-time workers collapsed by 800 and 85,000. This was the biggest monthly drop unadjusted since April 2020 when the economy was shut down. And if full-time workers plunged as much as that, it must mean that part-time jobs exploded to get to this number. And according to the BLS, they did by 1.127 million in one month. 
so this is the um, the way this works. Uh, yeah, people are losing their full-time jobs and getting three part-time jobs to make up for it. Uh, other people have full-time jobs, but they're just getting a second job just to keep up with the price inflation that we're dealing with under Bidenomics. Uh, and many people now have two, three jobs just to get by. So in other words, all the job gains in September were either from part-time workers or multiple job holders forced to get another job in addition to the current one. So, you know, Biden will come out and say, oh, look at all the jobs we created. Well, they're part-time jobs, they're crappy jobs, they have no benefits, and it's because full-time jobs are going away and people need to get two or three uh, part-time jobs. And then they adjust all these numbers later on in the year anyway. So it's all fudged. Initially, uh, bond yields went up. Uh, and why would bond yields go up? Uh, because if the economy is so strong that it's producing all these jobs, the Federal Reserve isn't going to stop raising interest rates because they're afraid of inflation. And that's the thing about the Fed. It's so perverse. They don't want Americans to get full-time jobs because that's not good for inflation. So they'd rather you lose your job, lose your home, lose your car, maybe lose your wife, uh, and and have to go out and get two or three part-time jobs. That's good as far as they're concerned. Uh, so initially, stocks went down over 200 points. Bond yields hit a new high uh, at 4.85%. Um, and then it reversed itself. I think once uh, people looked under the hood here and realized that a lot of these numbers are fudged, and if you look at the unadjusted numbers, I mean, we had a precipitous fall in employment. So you see how these government statistics could be messed up with? And by the way, the bond yield started to come down later on in the morning, uh, and the stock market was up 200 points uh, by lunchtime, as people realized that the employment situation isn't as good as the initial headline jobs go. But that's, that's what the you know Biden administration will run with today. Oh, look at all the jobs we created. Better than expected, the economy's doing great under Bidenomics when it's not. Now tell me how this headline jives with this such good job market out there. Headline, Chapter 11 filings by businesses soar 61% so far this year. A wide array of U.S. businesses have struggled this year. In the first nine months of 2023, commercial Chapter 11 bankruptcies have soared 61% year-over-year to 4,553, according to Epic Bankruptcy, which provides U.S. bankruptcy filing data. Small business filings in that time rose 41% to 1,419. Uh, In all, considering every type of bankruptcy, filings in the commercial sector rose 17% to 18,680. So, you know, you have companies going bankrupt much more than just a year ago. And uh, bankrupt companies don't hire anybody. Bankrupt companies let go everybody. So how can you have an increase, 61% increase in um, Chapter 11 filings by businesses and uh, the employment economy is so good? I don't buy it. You shouldn't buy it either. So this week, uh, student loan payments resumed for 40 million Americans after a three-year hiatus due to COVID, which they kept extending 
Biden's been trying to get it all canceled. The Supreme Court stopped him, and then he came out again this week uh, with nine billion more cancellations, which will have to make it through the courts again, and it'll be slammed down. All he's doing is he's making these students, uh, giving them false hope. Anyway, uh, the average monthly bill is going to be $500. So you have these people uh, that have gone three years without this bill. Now all of a sudden, it starts up again for them. Now, it's going to have a substantial effect on the economy. uh, Economists uh, say the impact on households uh, and the economy remains largely uncertain because we have little precedent for borrowers getting such a long-term break from their loan bills. But as Biden administration ramps up repayment of the more than $1.7 trillion in federal student loan debt, retailers and lenders are bracing for a hit. So uh, there's big concern that people are going to have to pull back their spending. And in the article, they have a, a comment from uh, Ryan Warren, a nurse in Jacksonville, Florida, hasn't thought about his federal student loans in years. But this month, he's scrambling to figure out how to make room in his budget for his $500 monthly bill. He and his wife, Amelia, plan to dine out less and skip the football games they love to attend. His grocery bills will also need to shrink. And it's not only consumption that decreases, said Moran. Increasing monthly payments mean I have to work overtime, taking time away from my family. Well, you should have thought about that, Mr. Moran, when you took out the loans. Uh, And that's the thing. These people take out these loans during college, and now they expect the government to eat it. You and me to eat it, actually. I already paid for my daughter to go to college. I need to pay for somebody else's daughter. So you got 40 million Americans now that are on the hook for a new monthly payment that they didn't have for three years. And that money's got to come from somewhere. And retailers are really, really concerned uh, about that. A recent survey, around 70% of borrowers plan to postpone big ticket purchases come October. Meanwhile, people with student debt plan to cut back their spending on clothing, travel, and food. And uh, now this is going into the holiday season. It'll be a drag on retail spending for the holidays. Well, that's just the way it is. Um, You should have budgeted for it when when you borrowed for it. And the problem that you have here is you have millions of people that went to college, took out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans, and now graduated with, with bullshit degrees in gender studies, racial studies, where they can't even get a job, let alone a decent paying one. And now they got um, tens of thousands of dollars in loans they have to pay back. I want to know where the parents were advising their kids. You know, why are you taking these big loans out for a degree? That's not going to pay you anything. Look, you go into debt because you want to be a doctor. Or you want to be a lawyer or an engineer. Well, you know on the other end of your college education, you're going to have a good paying job. And it won't be difficult to pay back those loans. But if you don't have a great degree, you just wasted a good portion of your financial resources for the next 20 years, maybe, uh, having to pay back these uh, student loans. And part of the blame is on the colleges that have inflated tuitions and room and board to levels that do not mimic the uh, inflation rate in the real economy. 
And you could blame the government for just guaranteeing all these loans. Well, the banks had no problem lending money out for student loans when they knew the government was guaranteeing them. So what we need to do is we need to see uh, universities and colleges be realistic about what the cost of education should be. We need students. We need um, parents. Let's face it. These students are 18 to 22 years old. Unless they go to graduate school, then they're older. They're kids. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. You don't know when you're 18, 19 years old what major you should have. I didn't. I may. I. I. I, I went in for pre med at Rutgers, uh, and then I, I. I specialized in microbiology, and that's the degree I graduated with, microbiology. I never spent a day as a microbiologist in my life. So you could say that was a wasted degree. Um, now, back then in the day, in late 70s, uh, college wasn't as expensive as it is now. I think I was paying something like 4000 a semester, something, some cheap amount like that. So my student loans in dollar amounts wasn't that great, wasn't that big. And I paid it off regularly and on time. I didn't ask for anybody to cancel it. Uh, I went and paid it. But uh, those of you who are out there with student loans right now probably want to scream at me. And I get it. Hey, look, if I had student loans, I want them to go away too. But that's not the way America is supposed to work. You make an obligation to borrow money, you pay it back. And it's not like it just disappears. You know, 40% of the, the assets of the U.S. government are student loans. So we start forgiving these student loans, you know, our assets are going away. It, it just doesn't go away. We eat it. The taxpayers eat it. It's added to our debt and our deficits. And Biden's doing everything he can trying to get it to go away. He's trying to buy votes. But the courts have slapped him down. And the reason being is that the president has no right to spend money. Only Congress could spend money. So by canceling you know, uh, billions of dollars in student loan debt, that's the same as spending money that he has no right to do. And they're trying to find workarounds through the Department of Education, changing the income rules for payback formulas and so forth and so on. Uh, but all of it is unconstitutional and ultimately is going to be struck down uh, by the courts, if not the Supreme Court itself, like it did uh, in the original student loan forgiveness um, proposal. Which is supposed to cost, I think, I think the number was something crazy like uh, $250 billion. Remember Biden wanted to uh, forgive the first 20000 of everybody's student loan debt. And boy, all the students got so excited about that. Got to, got to vote Democrat because they're going to give us things. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, it never happened because of the Supreme Court. And he should have never, ever proposed that knowing that it was unconstitutional and getting all these people's hopes up. So serious stuff, student loan payments. Now, half of Americans with student loans say they're going to default on them, that they're not going to pay them. We'll see how that plays itself out. Good luck uh, trying to buy a house in the future. Good luck trying to buy a car after you walk away from them. And you can't declare bankruptcy on student loans. You know, it's one of the few debts that you can't 
just declare bankruptcy and walk away from it. You can walk away from credit cards. You can walk away from your your house. You can walk away from a car loan. They'll take your car, but you know you can walk away from it. You can't discharge student loan debt in bankruptcy. So it doesn't go away. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the interest continues to compound. Now, how will they get the money out of you? I don't know. But it sure isn't going to be good for your credit rating. You know, it took 200 years to surpass $2 trillion in debt for the United States of America. It took less than three months this summer to add $2 trillion to our existing $32 trillion in debt. Two months. Actually, it was, uh, I think it was 10 weeks versus 200 years. Uh, This is insane. And we're spiraling into a debt situation that is totally unsustainable. And we've destroyed our children and grandchildren's future. We did it a long time ago. But every day we're just making it worse and worse. Sad to say, but I'm telling you, I, I can't see what world. So a child's 10 years old right now. I don't see what world they're going to be living in when they're 25, 15 years from now. I mean, what are we going to be at? 100 trillion by then? 110 trillion? 150 trillion? I don't know. But now we're up to a trillion dollars in interest on the debt per fiscal year. Soon to go to $1.5 trillion as more and more of our outstanding debt comes due and matures and has to be reissued at higher interest rates. Um, this is truly insane. And our budget deficit continues to grow, so we're forced to borrow more and more money. Our budget deficits are going to be $2 trillion a year. Well, where's that money going to come from? It's going to be borrowed. And our interest, you know... How are we going to pay that? We're going to borrow it. And it's not just the United States. It's all over the world. Governments have been selling bonds to finance deficit spending. And, you know, where we saw bond yields under 1% all around the world. Even in Europe, they were negative. Remember negative interest rates in the bond market? You would pay the German government to own their 10-year bond. It was insane. But now German... Long-dated bonds are, are up to 5%. Italy's bonds, 10-year bonds, are up to 5%. And the United States, 10-year bond is almost 5%. And there's no way out of this mess now for anybody. You know, last week, I think it was, Zero Hedge reported that the U.S. government added $275 billion to the national debt in one day. That's right. In one day. Could you imagine that? So uh, the official U.S. debt now is $33.44 trillion. Um, it hit $33 trillion just two weeks ago. And now we're on pace to rise by uh, a trillion in one month. It's insane. And what are we spending the money on? I mean, are we smart with the way we're spending this money? No. Over a hundred and whatever number, $125 billion has been sent over to Ukraine. 
How much do you think really went into the war effort of that money? How much money is in the pockets in the Swiss bank accounts of Ukrainian corrupt officials, Zelensky? And how many corrupt U.S. officials have money being kicked back to them in bank accounts around the world? It's so corrupt what's going on. But look at the frivolous things. You heard this this week. Federal officials have been criticized after splashing $3.3 billion on swanky new office furniture during the pandemic when almost all staff work from home. The egregious spending habits of the U.S. government include almost 250000 on solar-powered picnic tables for the CDC and 120000 on plush Ethan Allen leather chairs. What is a solar-powered picnic table? I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, that's strange. Have to do some looking into that. I want one, whatever it is. So if we keep borrowing and spending money at the exponential pace that we've been doing it, we all know how this is going to end. I'll tell you how it's going to end. A crash in the U.S. dollar and hyperinflation. That's the way it always, that's the way it always ends. And that's the way it's going to end for us as well. Now, the question is, what's the tipping point? Where are we when we start realizing uh, that the ship is sinking? Is it $40 trillion? Is it $50 trillion? I don't know. I don't know when that day of reckoning comes, but I don't think it's far out there. It's not bad enough that we're throwing uh, $100-plus billion dollars at the Ukraine, which is a, just a black hole, we should be uh, negotiating the end of this war as opposed to escalating it with more money and more military uh, equipment. But no, we want to send them more money, more money, more money. Again, a broke country is sending money all over the world. Check this out. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken said the United States plans on sending $165 million in military assistance to Haiti. And a hundred million of that is to support Kenyan soldiers who are going there to, to keep order. Why is it our responsibility to pay for everything that happens? Haiti's not our country, it's not our possession. We don't have the money, and we're spending a hundred million dollars to support Kenyan soldiers. Why don't Kenya? Pay for their own soldiers. And another $65 million we're spending to professionalize the National Haitian Police and strengthen its capacity to dismantle the gangs and safeguard communities. Again, why is this our problem? I don't know. Uh, Blinken noted that the White House previously provided Haiti with over $120 million in security assistance. So ah, it's $100 million. What is it? It's a nickel to you and me. It's not $100 billion like we sent to Ukraine. It's $100 million. Chump change. But it just happened. I mean, over and over again, everywhere in the world, we're sending money to. How about spending some money to clean up our cities and our gangs that are terrorizing people in Chicago, in New York, in L.A., Portland? I mean, uh, cities in the United States now are turning into Mad Max, no-go places. 
almost every client I see that comes into my conference room, we start talking about the world. Tell me, they wouldn't go back to New York City. They used to love to go to plays and dinner and all that. They're not going. My wife won't go. Um, actually, we do have to go uh, next week or the week after. We're going to a Billy Joel concert uh, at Madison Square Garden. And my wife's like terrified. Now, the chances of something bad happening to us are pretty small. Uh, but still, she's very nervous about going. And it's a shame that we have to feel that way about our number one city, New York City. You're afraid to go to it. It's amazing how how different cities are when they're run by Republicans versus run by Democrats. New York with Giuliani and Bloomberg, low crime, pleasant place to visit, clean. And then under de Blasio and now uh, Adams, the city goes to hell. And that's true of all the Democratic cities in the United States, these blue cities. Here's a headline. Blue cities are being terrorized by carjackers, pirates, looters, serial shoplifters, and transnational gang. Many of our largest cities simply aren't safe anymore. A relentless crime wave is terrorizing citizens from coast to coast and has gotten to a point where many people are literally afraid outside of their own homes. And of course, conditions are worst in blue cities. Every example that I'm going to share with you right now comes from an era that's being run by liberals. In Philadelphia, a car dealership that was open for less than a week may be forced to close because thieves stole most of the cars on a lot. If we don't recover the cars, probably we won't survive it, said Nathan Kriegler, the co-owner of City Motors of Philadelphia. It could be the start and the end all in the same week. Have you ever heard anything like that? In addition to taking seven of the 11 vehicles that the small dealership owns, the thieves were also able to get away with their titles, too. Because they ransacked the office, stole the keys to seven of the 11 cars, and made off with them. And they also made off with the title of the cars. Down in Washington, D.C., carjacking has become a major problem. You heard this week that... uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar from Texas was carjacked Monday night about a mile from the Capitol building. As as Congressman Cuellar was parking his car this evening, three armed assailants approached the congressman and stole his vehicle. Luckily, he was not harmed and is working with local law enforcement. And this case is fairly typical in the big cities. You know, people, you know, your life is in danger. They want your car. They'll They'll kill you for it. 75% of all carjacking incidents in D.C. involve the use of guns. They ain't kidding. And many of those guns are in the hands of young kids. Hooligans. And, you know, if one of these young kids decides that it's time to pull the trigger, it isn't going to matter what you believe. You could be the most woke leftist in the world. That isn't going to prevent you from getting killed. 32-year-old Ryan Carson was very well-known social justice and climate change activist in New York City, but the young criminal that stabbed him in the chest multiple times didn't stop to ask what his political beliefs were. 
So this guy was brutally stabbed to death, 32 years old, in front of his girlfriend for doing nothing but being out at 4 a.m. at Lafayette Avenue in Malcolm X Boulevard. He was with uh, his girlfriend at the time, waiting at a bus stop after leaving a wedding. Uh, Being at any Malcolm X Boulevard in any city at 4 a.m., you're asking to be killed (laughs) or raped or whatever. Uh, Typically, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and uh, Malcolm X Boulevard is not uh, the best part of the city. Um, so I don't want to say this guy had it coming to him. He had a wedding to go to, but 4 a.m. Uh, out on the street. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, left-wing uh, Philadelphia journalist uh, who mocked concern over rising crime in Democrat-run cities was shot to death in his home. Josh Kruger was shot seven times after someone entered his home, shot him at the base of his stairs, and then fled. Um, so, uh, it doesn't matter if you're woke, you're a leftist, you're a liberal, um, they're all dead. It doesn't matter. They don't care. At this point, I have no idea why anyone would want to live in Philadelphia. You see any videos of what's going on in Philadelphia? I mean, it's like a zombie apocalypse there. Uh, it's, it seems to be the epicenter or at least one of the epicenters of, of the national drug crisis that we're living in. And uh, you got flash mobs just going through the city, taking everything they can from stores. And it's happening in major cities all over the country. And another city that's particularly out of control is San Francisco, the whole Bay Area. Uh, Did you see the video um, of a serial shoplifter dousing a store clerk in lighter fluid and setting them on fire? I mean, it's horrific. Uh, his whole head was on fire, his hair and everything. This is this is nuts what's going on in America. This is the world that we live in now. And it's happening so quick. And even people who live on houseboats and yachts are having a major problem with quote-unquote pirates. Uh, where these um, seafaring bandits are ransacking their ships. Unbelievable. It just doesn't end. Uh, another woman said she rescued a man whose sailboat drifted into a ba- into the bay without a motor or any way to get back to shore after one of the pirates, which is what the resident calls the burglars, cut his boat line during an argument. The open shoreline of uh, the Oakland Alameda estuary is littered with sunken wrecks and derelict end-of-life vessels, and crime has risen to truly intolerable levels. And what happens when these people are finally arrested? Uh, they let out with no bail, and they go out and do it again. Illegal immigration, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, is certainly fueling the um, rapid growth of criminal gangs in the cities. And these gangs are very violent and very aggressive um, all over the country. The Biden administration has no intention of doing anything about it. Who knows how many criminals each day are pouring through our southern border. 
just unbelievable. So now Biden comes out and he says that all of a sudden he's getting religion and uh, wants to build the border wall. And Homeland Security head Mayorkas all of a sudden comes out and says, oh, we have to build barriers. He doesn't want to use the word wall. Um, so why, why all of a sudden a change of heart? Well, we're one year away from an election. <laughs> and politically, people are fed up. Uh, I know nothing, nothing makes me more crazy than the videos of people just walking across. It just drives me nuts. And if I feel that way, I'm sure all of you feel that way. And most Americans do. But I don't think they care about what we think. I think it has to do with the fact that Democrats now are coming out and saying they got to do something about the border. As all these immigrants, if you want to call them that, or illegal aliens, um, are now uh, being moved to the cities run by Democrats. And they're being overwhelmed. You see in New York City, how many hotels now are they using where they're paying three to $500 a night? To house immigrants. Uh, And Adams came out today, not today, this week, and said that we're out of space. And you're going to notice it. They're going to be all over the streets. And this this can't continue. So now all of a sudden Biden comes out and he says, I'm going to start building the border wall. But when pressed on it, uh, he says that, well, I'm only building it. Uh, because I have to, because we tried to get Congress to uh, reappropriate those funds in a different direction, uh, and they won't do it. So by law, we have to use the money to build the wall. Uh, that's hogwash. Well, listen to um, KJP, who, for the life of me, and for as long as she's press secretary, I'll never get her name. It just, I have a blank, a black spot in my brain for her. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, that's it. Uh, it comes to me eventually, but I, I can't remember. So she comes out, and this is what she had to say, because, uh, you know, this is a big reversal. And she wants to know, well, you know, Biden said walls don't work and everything. Uh, why, 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 why the turnabout? We believe that a border wall is not effective. When your colleague Selena asked him directly, he said, we don't believe it's effective. We have asked Congress to actually to actually help us, you know, uh, use these funds in smarter, more effective ways. That's what we've asked for. They refuse, but we're going to continue to ask for Congress, especially Republicans who are holding this back, to act. Border walls ineffective. Why is the Homeland Security Secretary saying that it's necessary to prevent unlawful entries into the United States? I've not seen that full that full statement. It's I know. I, I, I hear you. I'm just saying I've not seen that full his full statement uh, on that. What I can t- speak to is for the president. The president's been very clear that he doesn't believe it's a, it's effective. He answered that question of your colleague. That's what I can speak to. That's what we're going to talk about. And we've actually said there are smarter ways and more effective ways in dealing with this. And there are. And so we, the president said himself, he asked Congress to reappropriate this funds for something that is more effective uh, for uh, ways to do this in a smarter way as it relates to border security measures. They refused. This was announced back, back in June. And now we're moving forward. All right. So the first point that... Uh, the president doesn't think border walls are effective. Uh, why not? <laughs> a wall is a wall. Why isn't it effective? It's much more effective than no wall. Uh, uh, that's total bull. 
And she goes on to say, well, by the way, with the wall, tell that to the Chinese who have the Great Wall of China that protected them for eons. Uh, or the Berlin Wall. That was not effective. It was pretty effective. Ask any, anybody in East Germany that tried to get out. Uh, so balls, walls do work. Uh, so I don't know what he's talking about. They're not effective. Somebody should ask her to explain that, you know. Not one reporter asked her to explain it. Uh, and then she goes on, they, the president want Congress to redirect it to a more appropriate use or a more effective one. You know what she means? Taking that money and using it to naturalize the illegals that are here. And not border security. And see, nobody asked her. They should have asked her, well, what's a more effective way to use the money? Uh, see, there's no follow-through. And then when she goes on to say that Mayorkas, when uh, a reporter goes on to say Mayorkas said that a border wall is necessary. And this is exactly what, what Mayorkas said. He said, acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States. So Mayorkas think now, all of a sudden, there, there exists an acute and immediate need to construct a physical barrier. Now, you won't say wall, you see, because that's what Trump wanted, and that's where everybody was against it. Uh, barrier. Okay, so why does he think it's effective? Now, KJJP, she goes on to say, though, I haven't seen that full statement. I've seen it, and I've read it for a couple of days now, and she hasn't seen it. She's the press secretary of the president of the United States, and this is his homeland security Director, that's insane. It's a lie. She's read it. So the president says it's not effective. He says it's necessary to stop people from coming in. This is pretty awkward. And just realize, it wasn't long ago, just a few months ago, that the Biden administration was caught selling portions of Trump's border wall on a government surplus website. You remember that? For like pennies on a dollar. So uh, all of a sudden, uh, we're getting this reversal here. Um, and, and, and Trump is right. That's why he built 500 miles of, of a new wall. It would have been finished by now. Instead, Joe Biden turned our country into one giant sanctuary for dangerous criminal aliens, child traffickers, human traffickers, Drug traffickers. Um, Mayorkas now said he plans to waive a total of 26 federal laws to expedite construction. Um, it's going to be good to see how the mainstream lackeys and the Democrats squirm out of this one. Um, I thought, they, aren't they racist now? Aren't they, what about the hate? What about the white supremacy? Didn't they say that? One of the Democrats said it was AOC. That it's um, isn't a border wall. It's a it's it isn't a border wall. It's a monument to white supremacy. That was the headline in Bloomberg. Um, so now the the Biden administration, I guess they're the xenophobic and they're racist now. Um. But one thing, it's it, it's too late. It's absolutely way too late. Now, we should stop more from coming in. But uh, we could have prevented what looks like 10 million people that have come in 
since Joe Biden became president. Unbelievable. But uh, I'm just wondering if uh, there wasn't an election next year, whether they would... Or maybe they feel they got enough uh, people in that they can get uh, voter IDs for that can sway the election. The extra $10 million. They're all going to go to swing states <laughs> and miraculously all, all register to vote. Uh, we live in crazy times, my friends. Whoa, hold on a second. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. I recorded this last segment on Friday midday. Now it's Saturday. I'm recording the rest of the program. And apparently, uh, Department of Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas walked back his comments on the urgent need for a border wall. And I guess that's because his uh, lefty uh, controllers uh, got to him. They weren't happy about it. And now he comes out the following day. Now, I'm going to remind you of the quote that he said. Quote, there was presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States in the project areas. Pretty straightforward to me, but this is what he said on Friday. I want to address today's reporting relating to a border wall and be absolutely clear. There is no new administration policy with respect to the border wall. Allow me to repeat that. There is no new administration policy with respect to the border wall. From day one, this administration has made clear that a border wall is not the answer. That remains our position, and our position has never wavered. The language in the Federal Register notice is being taken out of context, and it does not signify any change in policy whatsoever. Now, wait a second. That was not taken out of context at all. It's very, very, very clear. Not to mention, the president has talked about this for the last few days. So there is absolutely a change in policy. Or at least that's what they said. Uh, and then he comes out today and totally contradicts himself on this. What a clown show this administration is. And uh, you just had some very liberal Democrats come out screaming and crying uh, about it. And uh, they do about face because they're not running the country. I tell you, we're in the middle of a Marxist revolution. You got to understand what's going on right now. That there is a takeover of the United States going on by the left in this country. They've already taken over education. They've taken over the media. They've taken over Hollywood, professional sports, and almost every institution in this country. And they're the ones who are calling the shots. And my guess is it's Obama. And uh, they went hysterical after Obama reversed. Now, Obama, um, I, mean, I mean, Biden reversed Obama. Uh, but Obama, I just said it again. Uh, Biden, Biden said straight out that the law states he has to do it. And now Mayorkas comes out and says there's no change in policy. I mean, what is it? it it's just unbelievable. Uh, how this administration works. Uh, 
But just uh, rest assured, anything that, that's negative to the United States will be their policy. Uh, and uh, they've made that known. And even if they start building a wall now, I mean, it's like, you know, you heard the old saying, you know, closing the barn door after the horses are gone. Well, we got 7 million, 10 million, who knows? Nobody really knows for sure of illegals that have come in in the last three years since Biden became president. It's an invasion. And this is exactly what the left wants in this country. Chaos. Whether it's crime in our cities or an invasion of illegal immigrants, uh, which Obviously, is they're gravitating towards the cities and, and aiding in destruction and chaos. Um, and uh, people know it. They feel it. And uh, you should know this, too, that this is going on. People, the average person doesn't know what's going on in this country. You have a revolution going on of Marxist, leftist, communists who are doing everything they can to take over the country. Now, two things happened late this week uh, that should put chills down your spine. The government came out, uh, or a report came out, that the FBI is now labeling MAGA Republicans, meaning Republicans that back Donald Trump as terrorists and radicals. Uh, That is beyond belief, that one of the major political parties and about half Americans in this country are now being labeled by your government as radical terrorists. Uh, That is chilling. Absolutely chilling. And then that was followed the next day by Hillary Clinton coming out on an interview saying that Trump supporters need to be deprogrammed and that followers of Trump are in a cult. These two things were not random. These things go together. She said the quiet part that nobody's talking about. Remember she once referred to Trump supporters as basket of deplorables? Now she's saying these people are cultists and need to be reprogrammed. Listen to what she says. There wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump. When do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members. The base of the Republican Party, for whatever combination of reasons, and it is emotional and psychological, um, sees in him someone who speaks for them. Because for whatever reason, he and his you know, very negative, uh, nasty form of politics resonates with them. Maybe they don't like migrants. Maybe they don't like gay people or black people or the woman who got the promotion at work they didn't get. Whatever the reason, you know, Make America Great Again was a bid uh, for nostalgia. Uh, so it is like a cult. Do you see what's happening here, people? Uh, they've charged Trump with 91 indictments. He's the leading candidate for president after they stole the election from him. Uh, and now they're branding all his supporters as extremist radicals. Uh, they're coming after you. If you're a Trump supporter, they're coming after you. They're going to come after 70 million people. What's next? Prison camps? Unbelievable. And then she goes on to say that, oh, 
if you're a MAGA supporter or a Trump supporter, it's emotional and psychological. And maybe you don't like gay people. Maybe you don't like um, uh, immigrants. Come on, give me a break. This woman should be in jail. This woman should be in front of a firing squad. The things that have been said about her, the pedophilia, the satanic sexual rituals with children. Do you remember the um, laptop from Anthony Weiner? Never heard anything about that. By the way, on that laptop was the most disgusting. There was a video of, or at least New York police detectives who saw this video, uh, said there's a video of Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin torturing and killing a young girl. They actually, according to uh, reports, they actually cut off her face and put it on their front of their face to just torture the girl and then kill her. And in reportedly, the detectives that saw this were so disturbed that they were throwing up. Well, where is that video? Where is that laptop? How come nobody's ever seen it since then? And by the way, I think of, uh, don't quote me on these numbers, but it's pretty close, of the 10 or 12 um, New York detectives that witnessed that video, uh, eight of them are dead. So these are the things that get buried with the elites in this country. And this woman has some nerve coming out and calling Trump supporters cultists, part of a cult with psychological issues. And then you have your government calling you a radical because you back the past president of the United States. Could you imagine where this country has fallen at this stage? Um, and now what are they going to do? Pursue, if, you, if you're pro-Trump, you're going to be arrested? Re-educated in re-education camps? Isn't that how you deprogram somebody? Uh, this is pretty outrageous. And the fact that that said, that came out on Thursday, I believe. And then on Friday, Hillary comes out with that statement. Uh, that's coordinated. And let me tell you, they're serious about that. The left in this country, and you got to understand what's happening. This is serious stuff, people. There is a leftist Marxist takeover of America. And is it being led by a foreign country? by the globalists using Obama? I don't know. But I'm pretty astute when it comes to this stuff, and I put all the pieces together. What else do you need to know? The leading candidate for president is being persecuted using the Justice Department of the United States. That same Justice Department, FBI, now is labeling Trump supporters as radicals and terrorists. Uh, what else do you need to know? And then you got Hillary Clinton coming out saying that if you support Trump, you're a radical, you're a, a cult, psychological, you don't like immigrants, you don't like gays, and you need to be reprogrammed. Uh, this is scary stuff, people. I mean, I never thought ever in this country that we'd be talking about stuff like this. But people better wake up. Because this is really happening. And let me tell you something. 2024 it is going to be the worst year in this country since the Civil War. 
And you better be prepared for it because it's going to get nasty. And it's going to get crazy. And uh, I'll do my best to report it to you here on this program because you're not going to hear the truth on the mainstream media. They're part of it. And oh, by the way, um, there was a party last night for uh, KJP, Corinne Jean de Paul, whatever her freaking name is, uh, attended by all the liberal journalists, the president of ABC and MSNBC. These are the journalists that are supposed to be investigating everything that the administration does, calling them to task, and they hobnob with each other. They're all friends. Do you know that? All the people in the major media organizations are married to people in the administration. They're all friends. And then they have a party to celebrate her. Unbelievable. Journalism is dead in this country. And that's the first thing you have to do for a Marxist takeover of a country is to quell free speech and control the media. And it's happening. This is what you go back in history and you look at how you systematically have a revolution or take over in communist countries, whether it's Mao Zedong, whether it's Lenin, in any country where you have a Marxist takeover, this is the way it's done. You infiltrate the education system. You infiltrate the media. You infiltrate the Justice Department. You selectively prosecute people, take away their property. Look, they want to take away Trump's business, Trump Tower, everything. It's just unbelievable what's going on here. And not enough people are screaming at the top of their lungs, especially the Republican Party. Where are they? They're a bunch of wimps. All they're doing is infighting amongst themselves now. Every day they should be sitting there in front of a microphone calling out what's going on in this country. But they're not. And they're allowing it to happen. They're part of it. And it's going to get hairy, people. It's going to get hairy. All right, I need to cool down. Let's let's take a quick break. AFM Investments' Luz Katigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, registered advisory services through our Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. We always love our listeners' emails, lou at 
thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your comments uh, on the program, on the stuff that we talk about on this show. If you want me to cover something, just let me know. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Or if I could help you with a personal financial issue that you're dealing with. Uh, those are my favorite emails because I get up every morning looking to try to help somebody. And uh, if it could be our listeners, uh, that's, a, that's a good day for me. That's Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And I just want to go back and I want you to play that last segment again I just ran about what's happening with our country and where we're going and share it with people. I didn't even plan on doing that segment. It, it just just happened. But then I just got caught up in it. But uh, I'm serious about this. I mean, our country is being taken over. Our way of life, our freedoms. And I said before that, you know, the first thing they do is, is free speech. You, you know, dissident speech. Dissident. Meaning opposite of what the... The, the, the Marxists want you to know. And they've taken over uh, the media, uh, social media. What happened during the election and social media, the censoring of anything pro-Trump or conservatives. Uh, it's un- unreal what's going on right now. And people know it. I mean, I, people I talk to anyway feel that something's not right. But I don't think they fully understand the seriousness of what's going on. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, there's a lot of armed conservatives, a lot of armed MAGA people in this country. Are we going to allow our country to be taken over by communists? Now, I'm not calling for arms. I'm not calling for people to rise up. Not yet, anyway. It may come down to that. But uh, it's becoming clearer and clearer every day that that's what's happening. And uh, they're trying to frighten Trump supporters. Like, what, what, what? You're not going to be able to walk around with a, a Trump hat or a MAGA hat on? And what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to demonize Trump supporters. That's another thing that they do in the communist takeover. Demonize the opposition. So you'll be afraid to walk down the street with a Trump hat on. People may attack you or or the government may come after you. So what are you going to do? Not comment on social media that you're a Trump supporter because you don't want the FBI going after you? I, I If the FBI is going after Trump supporters and conservatives, I'm sure uh, there's a file on me. And anybody else who's uh, uh, out there. Talking truth. Now, uh, Tucker Carlson, who's best thing that ever happened to Tucker Carlson was being fired by Fox News. He's got more people watching his uh, his Twitter uh, videos than he did when he was on Fox. But he uh, he had on uh, uh, Victor David Hansen. Victor David Hansen is a historian. He's an older guy. He's been around a long time. And they were talking about uh, what's happening now. And uh, he gave a stark assessment, not not much different than what I just did, about what's happening right now and what's going to happen uh, in the next 12 months. Like 
good Bolsheviks or good Jacobins, they eventually always turn on elections. They don't want them. And so we'll see. It's going to be a very explosive. I hope everybody can keep their head because I think the next 12 to 18 months are going to be the most explosive in our history since the Great Depression. Do you think Trump is leading now? Um, what do you think would happen if 11 months from now um, Trump were still leading? Yeah, well, we're on charter. We have no idea about this election, Tucker, because first of all, we've never had a president running against an ex-president, number one. Number two, we've never had an incumbent president that is utterly corrupt, like Joe Biden, and has lost all of his, or most of his cognitive facilities and is very unpopular. And yet we've never had a challenger who has been the victim of lawfare and is facing 91 indictments. And every time people say they wouldn't dare do this, Fannie Willis wouldn't dare. Latina James is just an absurd prosecutor. She wouldn't dare. Alvin Bragg is a buffoon. He wouldn't dare. Jack Smith is a partisan. Every time people say that, they do. And so I don't know if there's a strategy to keep Donald Trump either out of a gag order or out of confinement at Mar-a-Lago or out of jail. So you can see where we're headed to, where Joe Biden isn't really a, a, a viable president anymore. He's a construct. He's being used by the hard left, by the Obamas and the Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders squad wing of the Democratic Party. And it's getting to the point of character. So you put all of those things together and add in a Kamala Harris that frightens everybody because we've never had such an incompetent vice president, I think, and one so unfit to be president. And they're, they're everything, all bets are off. It's, it's like putting a, a, a group, a, all sorts of ingredients of explosive into a kind of device, and it's going to blow up, I think, somehow. But I don't think uh, we can predict what's going to happen. It's just too volatile. I think the left feels that they want to push the, the envelope. They want to take the leading Republican candidate, and they want to create charges against him, which they know they would have never lodged had he just said, I don't want to run for president. They would have let him alone. So these are patently political. And they want to destroy him psychologically, financially, and, of course, politically. And they think they can get away with it without a pushback, and we'll see. So I'm not the only one saying it, that the next uh, year is going to be very historic and quite frightening. And I think the average American has no idea what's going on. Well, they say dogs are a reflection of their owners, which appears to be true, at least when it comes to the Bidens. Uh, President Biden's uh, German Shepherd commander has been booted from the White House following at least 12 biting incidences involving staffers and U.S. Secret Service officers. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, how many bites does the dog have to give the Secret Service agents before they got rid of them, or at least took them out of the White House? But when the president's in Delaware, the Secret Service is with him there, too. Uh, but they have to endure this. Uh, the president and the first lady care deeply about the safety of those who work at the White House and who's, uh, and those who protect them every day, said Jill Biden's spokeswoman, Elizabeth Alexander. They remain grateful for the patience and support of the U.S. Secret Service and all involved as they continue to work through solutions. 
commander is not presently on the White House campus while next steps are evaluated. She refused to disclose where the dog had been sent on Wednesday. So earlier in the day, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre, see, I remember it because now <laughs> I said it right because I'm reading it. <laughs> I can see it. If I don't see her name, I, I just get blank. Um, was, she was asked about the recent biting incident in which Commander bit a White House staffer. After referring the matter to the First Lady's office, Jill Biden's team said that Commander was simply playing with the head groundskeeper, Dale Haney, and that no skin had been broken. Again, she doesn't answer a question. You know, she always refers you somewhere else. Like, you can't answer a simple question. The dog bit somebody. What happened? And the Secret Service has had it with this. I want to know um, what's going on in the Biden household with these dogs. I mean, there's rumors that Biden uh, has kicked and punched the dogs. Do you remember this story? Remember when Joe Biden fell in the shower uh, and they said that he broke his foot tripping after a shower when he pulled the dog's tail? What the hell does that mean? How do you pull a dog's tail and fall in a shower? I, I don't know. Um, so usually a dog like that would have been put down, but it's a democratic dog, right? It's okay. It's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah. The leftist dog, uh, he gets away with murder, doesn't he? Just like, uh, Joe's son. It's unbelievable. So, you know, they, they went on to say that, well, it, the dog was just playing. Well, the victim says my leg and arm still hurts. He bit me twice, twice and ran at me twice. Really? Unbelievable. <laughs> so Peter came out and defended the dog, of course. <laughs> just, dog's just playing. Dog needs to be trained. I guess he has bad training, just like uh, Hunter has had bad training uh, from Joe. It, it's just, you can't make this stuff up. Unbelievable. Now, earlier in the program, I was talking about the September jobs numbers that came out. Uh, the headline number is saying 336,000 jobs were created. But when we looked under the hood, uh, 885,000 full-time jobs were lost and over a million part-time jobs were added. Not to mention that the seasonal adjustments create jobs out of thin air. So really, it was a disastrous jobs report. Uh, when you have almost a million full-time jobs being lost and being replaced by part-time jobs, that's not good. But um, when asked, Biden, of course, is saying everything's good, everything's better. Most Americans feel better financially today than they did before him. I mean, this is pure gaslighting. It's pure lies straight to your face. The American people know what's going on. He goes on to say inflation is down. We've lowered inflation. Uh, yeah. Does he ever go to a grocery store? He uses all this voodoo math. Um and of course, he doesn't know where he is, and he just stambles and stutters and rambles, and you have these awkward pauses. So this is uh, his take uh, on the September disastrous jobs report. Mr. President, you started your remarks here today by saying it was good news today with the economic report. Why do you think most people still don't feel positive or feel good news about the economy? Well, first of all, you just heard the news today, too. They haven't heard it. 
I think the people, those 300 plus thousand people who got jobs feel better about the economy. I'd look, I gotta choose my words here. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something's negative. I don't mean, I don't mean you're picking on me, or I'm just the nature of things. You turn on the television, and there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know. To say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. I mean, I, I, I get it, but if you just listen to what's going on around the world, there's reason for people to be concerned. There's reason for people to be concerned what's going on with in Russia. There's reason to be concerned about what's going on in other parts of the world. I think that the American people are smart as hell and know what their interests are. I think they know they're better off financially than they were before. It's a fact. And all the all that data, all that polling stuff shows they think. They're more positive about the economy than they've been, more positive about their jobs, et cetera. Um, I just think if you, let me put it this way. If you just watch what happened last week in the Congress, how excited are you going to be about much of anything? What the hell is he talking about? A dog in the lake with a boy. And then he shifts gears. You know, we're talking about the economy. And why do people not feel good about the economy when you keep touting it and he's talking about Russia and he's talking about things that are happening overseas that have nothing to do with the economy. I mean, the guy is, uh, has checked out. Um, he really has. And then he starts rambling about inflation. Um, and then, you, listen, you, you hear a big pause. It, it, it's like it ended, but it's not. He's just staring and he's trying to, trying to figure out the words so he doesn't sound like the bumbling idiot that he is. Um, I shouldn't say that. The guy's the guy's senile. I shouldn't call him a bumbling idiot. He's just incompetent and unable to do the job. But listen. Inflation is coming down at the same time. It's down 60% since last summer. Core inflation was just 2.2% over the past three months. And now we have the lowest inflation of any major economy in the world. I think they know they're better off financially than they were before. It's a fact. And all the all that data, all that polling stuff shows they think they're more positive about the economy than they've been, more positive about their jobs, etc. He has no clue. Are you more positive about the economy than you were? I don't think so. I don't know anybody who is. Are you more positive about your job prospects, your children's futures, your ability to purchase a home or to pay for education? Everything that made up the American dream is going away. And it's because of liberal left-wing socialist policies that's bankrupting our nation and destroying our way of life. And there's no stopping it. Now, we were talking before about 
the illegal immigrant surge in this country, how Biden's allowed it, and now cities are being overwhelmed. Well, check this article out. New York City hospitals and medical centers are being overwhelmed by illegal immigrants. Hospitals and medical centers are being overwhelmed by sheer number of people seeking treatment, and it's not surprising. When you suddenly add tens of thousands more people than a system was designed for, this is what you get. Have the people of New York had enough yet? In the past year alone, medical centers across the five boroughs have received nearly 30,000 visits from undocumented migrants seeking medical care. Uh, About 300 new babies have been born to migrant moms during that period, most at Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan, which has seen one quarter of the overall migrant visits. Oh, by the way, those 300 children that are born there are now citizens. And now they're anchor babies. You know what anchor babies are? Well, since they're citizens now, you can't deport the parents or the rest of the family. Uh, Unreal. It's really unreal. This has been the hardest work I've ever done, said Dr. Ted Long, a senior vice president for New York City Health and Hospitals, who helps oversee the city's health response to migrants. For patients whose legal needs aren't critical emergencies, including U.S. citizens who might be dealing with issues like addiction and eviction, the wait time can be months, or they can refer to another service provider. So what he's saying is, if you're legally here, you get behind the line if you're not that serious, so they can deal with the migrants. I'm sure if you talk to anybody else in the city who's doing this work, there are waiting lists and people are turning people away or referring them to other places. If you ask me, do we need to do more? We need more resources for legal citizens? I would say absolutely yes. The entire system is overwhelmed. Whether you're talking about housing, food, clothing, and medical care, or anything else, the illegals are sucking up all the resources of the city and other cities as well. And the taxpayers are footing the bill, either directly or indirectly. And somebody needs to grow a spine and do the job that Biden refused to do. You know, the vast majority of these migrants are not eligible for asylum, and the government knows it. You know, asylum is when you're being persecuted in another country. So you're looking uh, to go to another country to to save your butt, to protect yourself and your family from violence and death. That's not why these people are here. These people are here for economic opportunity, free stuff. The list of stuff that they get free here, I mean, cell phone, they get paid money, housing, medical care, education. I mean, everything is free. But meanwhile, the average American... Uh, are struggling to pay their bills, struggling to put food on a table. And all these resources are going to migrants. I know I say unbelievable all the time, but it is. Uh, this just came out Friday afternoon. Uh, a New York appellate judge smacked down far-left judge Arthur Engeron. That's the guy who is uh, preso- uh, presiding over the Trump trial. And poised his order to dissolve the Trump organization. Remember last week he came out and just summarily said that, hey, um, as punishment for the Letitia James suit, uh, which uh, Trump committed this terrible fraud by inflating the value of his properties to get loans that were fully paid back with interest, by the way. There's no victim here. 
that the Trump organization will lose all its licenses in New York and have to be liquidated. Meaning Trump's entire empire, the billionaire, has to be liquidated uh, by an outside receiver, not even his own people or himself to make financial decisions. It's outrageous. Um, so, you know, Trump obviously came out and said uh, that I'm going to appeal this every way, which way I can. And the appellate division stayed um, Engoron's order on Friday. Judge uh, Peter Moulton Friday afternoon halted Engoron's order to dissolve the Trump organization after day five of Letitia James' Stalinist show trial. The judge, however, declined to pause the fraud trial, which Trump was trying to get. Uh, of course you have to appeal that, and of course they have to stay that. You, you ever hear a due process? I mean, it's the thousand hardworking people in the Trump organization. They can't do business in New York. That's where all their buildings are. And they're trying to destroy them in every way, shape, they can. And um, Donald Eric Trump came out and said, we'll continue to vig- vigorously defend our company and our incredible employees from this politically motivated persecution. But that's another thing, too, that um, you remember I was just saying before about how a system is taken over by leftists and communists uh, as they take over the judicial system. But that also means judges. That means that leftist presidents uh, nominate judges to the court that will defend leftist instit- institutions and, and leftist policy against the Constitution. And that, that could mean making a decision to confiscate somebody's property, even though it's unconstitutional. Now, hopefully, Trump appointed enough judges in the appellate divisions uh, of these courts to, to halt this persecution. And thankfully, it has happened in this appellate court. And it's going to happen with almost all these trials that he's in. They will, he, he will be exonerated in, in, in appeal. But at what cost, number one? What political cost? You know, he's in courtrooms nonstop between now and the election. Um, but that they don't care if he, well, they do care. They'd love to send him to jail, but that's not the issue. The issue is to keep him off the campaign trail and somehow damage him politically, which is not working. The more they persecute him, the more he goes up in the polls because Americans, at least uh, half Americans or a little over half, hopefully, uh, realize that this is what it is, a political persecution. I, I more than half have to know that. Even the left in this country know it is. And Democrats know it too. It is so obvious. Unless you have just extreme hatred for the man, uh, you can't believe that these indictments are real, that they're not fabricated, they're not done for a political reason. Do you believe there'd be one of these lawsuits against Donald Trump if he wasn't running for president again? The answer is no. And that tells you all you need to know that this is politically motivated. I tell you, if you're a conservative, if you're a Trump supporter uh, in this country, it's it feels like you're uh, the Washington generals against the Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, you get beat up every single day and the rules are stacked against you. Um, and it, it's a fight every single day. And it is, um, it, it can get you down. It can make you crazy. I know there's days that I'm just nuts. I just, and I know people uh, who don't sleep at night over this stuff. And if you're not concerned about it, then you just don't know what's going on here. 
Now, uh, I did a pretty big expose on vaccines on the midweek uh, uh, podcast on Wednesday. If you didn't hear it, you got to go listen to it. And you'll see that this was a, a deception, to say the, the least. And the media was part of it. Uh, the propaganda uh, becomes so obvious when you listen to the montages of all the media saying the same things. You had Dr. Fauci coming out there every day and putting the fear of God into you. Uh, um, wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. Wear two masks. Uh, and apparently this guy is responsible for the pandemic in the first place by funding gain-of-function research. And the only one in Congress really to be calling him out is Rand Paul, who says he's committed perjury many times by saying that he didn't fund gain-of-function research. Now, Rand Paul just came out with a book, and and it's funny. uh, It's not funny. It's uh, interesting. The name of the book is Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up. And he goes on to say, this is the biggest cover-up in U.S. history, and Fauci's being protected. And he also goes on to say, if you listen, that Fauci met with the CIA clandestinely. He's not in the logs or anything to get a strategy. And you got to understand, the CIA controls the media. There's a project in the, the CIA, it started in the 50s, called Project um, Mockingbird, where the media is totally controlled by the CIA. And now there's only six companies that, that control the entire media. So they control what the media says. And like I said, you go back and listen to Wednesday's podcast and you'll see the media. They all say the same exact phrase at the same time, the same day. That's them being fed to. Um, but anyway, listen to uh, Rand Paul. You know, his book's coming out as an expose. He believes that Fauci should be in jail. Higher issue. You have from January of 2020... And then you build a case that is as damning a case as I've ever read about how Anthony Fauci knew completely in early January at the very beginning of COVID, number one, that it was likely gain of function research that that built this virus, that it was likely the Wuhan lab and it was likely some U.S. tax dollars funneled through the NIH to the what EcoHealth Alliance that funded this. Didn't they know in January of 2020 when America was about and the world was about to be hit with the worst virus pandemic since uh, 1918? Yeah, and we now have proof in Anthony Fauci's own words. We have his emails. So in public, he's saying, oh, if you say it came from the lab, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're crazy, it's a fringe theory. But in private, he's saying, and it's almost the exact words he's saying, we're very concerned because the virus appears to be manipulated. And we're also very concerned because we know they're doing gain-of-function research in Wuhan. So everything he told me in committee, everything he denied in committee, he told me unequivocally, sir, we are not doing gain-of-function, we are not funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan. And yet, privately, he's saying exactly the opposite. We have him dead to rights. I've summarized this as well and referred him to Merrick Garland at the Department of Justice. People say, why hasn't he been arrested? Why isn't he in jail? Well, it's because we have the most partisan attorney general we may have ever had, and he's not doing his job. He's simply protecting him. But the book, I I believe, it's to me, it was an amazing saga because I became just... Uh, enraptured with the idea of the conversations that went on. January 31st, 
of 2020, they're all talking to each other and they're all saying, it looks like it came out. They're saying it's 80, 20, I'm 90, 10, I'm, I'm nearly a hundred percent. They're talking about burner phones. They're talking about hiding this. And then within four days, everything switches. We now have information that during this period of time that Fauci's meeting with the CIA off the books, the CIA keeps a log of who visits. Somehow Fauci doesn't show up on the books when he visits. So ultimately, we're going to get to the truth here. And part of the truth is going to need subpoenas and phone records and a daily log of where Fauci was, when he was, because this is perhaps the biggest cover up we've ever had in the history of our country. And a million Americans died and we deserve to know what happened. You have laid out what is now a mountain of evidence and you put it all together. Did Anthony Fauci lie to Congress? And is that not uh, illegal? And no people go to jail for lying to Congress like that, sir? Without question, it's a felony punishable to up to five years in prison. And if you worked in the Trump administration, they'd put you in jail. If you worked in the Biden administration, they tend to look the other way. So this is one of the most concerning things I hear as I go across the country. People are worried that there's two sets of justice, one for Republicans, one for conservatives, and a completely different and lower standard for Democrats. And do you believe that Anthony Fauci belongs in jail? Without question, I think the book will go a long way to convincing wow. the rest of America that this man was a traitor to his country. Rand Paul, thank you. So that was Rand Paul on Hannity uh, this week, uh, you know, pushing his book. Uh, I'm going to read it. Uh, but when is justice going to come to anybody that's affiliated with the Biden administration uh, or Democrats in general? You can get away with murder. I mean, Literally millions of murders. Um, if Fauci is certainly guilty of creating this virus, or at least uh, contributing to it through funding, I, I just find it crazy that the United States of America would be taking our tax dollars and giving them to China to create viruses or do viral research. Isn't China our enemy? Uh, I just don't understand how that works. It's antithetical to what sane people would do, I guess. Uh, I don't get it. But this guy, I mean, he should just shut up too because he still want, loves the media and loves going out there and talking. Uh, and on that show uh, on Wednesday, oh, by the way, there will not be a midweek po uh, podcast this coming week uh, on Wednesday because I'm going to be in Boston. I'm going to be out of town between Sunday and Wednesday, and uh, I won't have time to put together a, a midweek podcast. But we'll be back next Sunday, and then we'll go back to our midweek podcast. So next week, next Wednesday, don't look for the podcast because there won't be one. But certainly, if you didn't listen to last week's, this past Wednesday's podcast, uh, I think it's one of the more important shows I've ever done. Because of the the vaccine deception, the the COVID deception, uh, and uh, it's very very important. I think that that you listen to that and share it. Uh, and we talked about all the adverse effects from the vaccine: clots, myocarditis, heart attacks, strokes, infertility. Well, let's add another one that uh, came out this week. Uh, COVID-19 shot may be linked to unexpected vaginal bleeding. Norwegian scientists have discovered an unusual side effect in COVID-19 vaccinated women 
who don't menstruate. Atypical vaginal bleeding after injection with the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Researchers studied close to 22,000 women across different reproductive aging stages over the nine months and found that 3.3% of postmenopausal, 14.1% of perimenopausal, I don't know what that means, and 13.1% of premenopausal women experienced at least one unexpected bleed after receiving COVID-19 shots, according to the authors of the study published in Science Advances. About half of the bleeds were said to have occurred within the first four weeks of getting the vaccine. Um, So there you go. Another side effect of it. And we're not going to know really what the the long-term side effects of this quote-unquote vaccine is going to be, including including cancers. You know, I played um, an audio from an oncology doctor saying that he's seen cancers that he's never seen before in people who shouldn't have cancers. Young people who have no history in their family of colon cancer getting colon cancer. Children with leukemia that rapidly progresses. Uh, and they call it turbo cancer. And they, they hypothesize that, you know, the, the vaccine depresses your immune system. A vaccine is supposed to do the opposite. That's the scary part about all this. Vaccines are supposed to boost your immune system, not destroy it. And that's what these vaccines are doing. And they're still pushing them on us. And that, to me, blows my mind. They know about these side effects. They know about these excess deaths around the world. Millions of people. And they're still pushing the vaccine. In the past, if there was five deaths, they would pause it. They did that with the swine flu vaccine uh, back in the early 2000s. But with this, it's all perfectly fine. It's safe and effective. Uh, And it just blows my mind that people still will go and get this vaccine. I I just don't get it. Well, well, they'll be weeded out of the population, I guess, over time. Um, the population, people left to be smarter people. I guess that's natural selection. Uh, now, I could see in the beginning, you know, everybody was fearful. The government assured you that it was safe and it's effective. But people know better now. And that's why only about 25% of Americans plan on getting this new vaccine because the old one didn't work. Now we have new variants, so you need a new vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's a gene-altering mRNA Gene therapy. But if you don't want to get the vaccine, you still may get it and not even know it. Meat from animals vaccinated with mRNA vaccines may soon make its way into the U.S. food supply. Unbelievable. Shrimp have become the, shrimp have become the latest addition in a growing list of food sources targeted by mRNA gene therapy technology. An Israeli company seeking to bring mRNA vaccines to shrimp farming has raised $8.25 million from a group of venture capitalists to promote and improve animal health and marine species through its orally administered, administered RNA particle platform. They're doing it now with pigs. They're doing it or they, they want to do it with, uh, with cattle and beef. And that's one way to get that spike protein into your body. 
And the thing is, you don't know what food you're eating if it has this in it. God, it's it's like we're living in a science fiction movie. It really, it really is. I mean, and, and the government's promoting this. What is the agenda? And that's what I said on Wednesday in the show. What is the agenda? I mean, people know this is not, this is poison. This is not working. This is causing people to die. It's causing people to get cancer. It's causing people to get heart attacks. It's causing people to get strokes. But they keep pushing it. And you say, why? It makes no sense unless there is an, an agenda here. Depopulation. Extinction of the human species. They're trying to kill us. I'm telling you, they're trying to kill us. mRNA vaccines in cattle raise concerns among producers. According to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, mRNA vaccines are currently not licensed for use in the U.S. beef cattle. The vaccines are being developed to treat and prevent diseases in cattle whose meat can make its way to the dinner table. Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund, United Stock Growers of America. That's a big one. Calf. That's that's the um, pseudonym. A national nonprofit organization, more than 5,000 members, dedicated to ensuring the con- continued profitability and viability of the U.S. cattle industry has raised concerns over using mRNA vaccines in cattle. Uh, you're not going to be able to avoid this. Some people say it's going to be in the air, it's in the water, and soon it's going to be in your body. My friends, we live in interesting times. That's for sure. There's an old Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times. And we certainly are living in interesting times. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean it's good times, because it's not. Uh, And unfortunately, I fear that uh, these times are going to get worse. And they are going to get worse. I mean, we're entering into an election year like no other. Uh, It's going to be crazy. It's going to be volatile. I can't even predict what's going to happen next year. All right, we're at the end of our podcast. Please share this podcast. It's the only way the podcast grows. Share it with friends and family because we talk about things on The Financial Physician that you're not going to hear on the mainstream media. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Just a reminder, we will not have a midweek podcast this week because I'll be out of town, but we'll be back next Sunday. If you want to make an appointment for a no obligation financial review at my office or a phone interview, uh, call my office at 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100. Have a great week. Join me next Sunday. And don't forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. <laughs>